You're listening to Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today for another great author chat, this time with Julie Tu, the author of The Donut Trap. We are recording in the early hours of um, the first week of December, which means Rira is in the middle of her marathon BTS experience Uh, yes yes um i like i kind of hate the fact that it was during thanksgiving week i'm like why there's just (laughs) so much like there's just so much on my plate right now but um yeah i was actually really worried that i wouldn't be able to talk a lot in this episode because i (laughs) i screamed a lot i sang a lot and i was just like marvin you have to take the lead because i might not have my voice tomorrow <laughs> yeah you you've already been to two of the nights yeah and i'm going tomorrow so three out of the four days wow yes i'm sorry for those who follow me on twitter like i i know that many of you follow me for book news and like <laughs> bookish content but it's just been all bts for the last like two weeks and i apologize for that <laughs> You know, I mean, BTS is only here, what, once like, a year? Like, listen, I waited two years because their tour got canceled. And yeah, like, I struggled to get those tickets. And you know what? Actually, I'm not going to apologize for my Twitter <laughs> content because it it's my personal account. I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here with us. Intact. It's funny that you mentioned BTS because BTS is mentioned a couple times in the donut trap. <laughs> I mean, they are ubiquitous right now. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here with us. Um, voice intact for this amazing chat with Julie too. Um, the donut trap is an adult, I guess, rom com coming of age slice of life story about a girl trapped working at her parents' donut shop after graduating college with no direction in life, you know, kind of that post-college ennui that we all experience, or maybe not all of us. A lot of us. us. A lot of us experience. A lot of us. Um, Taking place in the SGV, which I love because it is where I grew up. And yeah, we had a really great chat with Julie about her inspirations, about the themes of her book, and about how she became an author. Yes, so without further ado, here is our chat with Julie too. And we are here with Julie Tu, the author of The Donut Trap, which is the debut adult rom-com novel. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hi, thanks for having me. We are chatting with her in the morning, uh, which is usually when we usually chat with East Coast authors. But no, she is here with us in the SGV. We're just here yeah. really early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're one of the few SGV authors that we've talked to. So Marvin oh. probably has a lot of comments about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rira is okay. also an SGV transplant, so that's we're, we're true. All here but in the I'm not. I'm not a native, though, so that's <laughs> very, very different from from your experiences. Um, but before we start, uh, just like an icebreaker, 
What is your favorite donut? What my favorite donut is a French cruller, which actually is not always available, and so sometimes I have to like find the right store, get there in the morning <laughs> to get one. Wow, that's dedication. How about you, Marvin? <laughs> uh, I like a good regular glazed donut. You're you're such an old man. Um, <laughs> My my favorite donut is uh like the seasonal strawberry donut from the Donut Man back oh. all the way in Glendora. All, like my friends and I would like say like, hey, it's nine o'clock. Uh, I really want donuts. Let's drive like forty five minutes just to get this one specific <laughs> donut because I am so picky. Um, but yeah, that's why I was like really excited to uh, read your book once. We announced the book deal. I was like, damn, like uh, like a story about a donut store, like about like uh, the post-college uh, Inuit experience because, um, yeah, I like totally related to a lot of Jasmine's struggles. So, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I as someone who is probably a good 10 years past my post-college ennui I definitely still related to the just that that unique moment after college when like our entire lives have been has been dedicated to school then we realize well we're done with school now what yeah yeah (laughs) well like I'm I'm in my 30s now and I was just like why do I still relate to Jasmine shouldn't I like have (laughs) my life together at this point but I don't so (laughs) (laughs) No, I still feel that way, too. And so sometimes when people have asked me, like, oh, well, why did you decide to write, like, a coming-of-age story for, like, an adult character? I'm like, well, I still don't know what I want to do. Um, I think it's, I mean, I think there's always going to be times in our lives where we feel that way. So it shouldn't just be limited to, like, a teenage time frame. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love the fact that this is an adult book because um, I I feel like so many coming of age stories are just reserved for young adults. And it's just a little bit frustrating sometimes because, um, yeah, that like struggle to like figure out who you are and what you want in life, what your passion is and second guessing your decisions. It's also like very much part of being like an adult and I just mm-hmm. love how you were able to weave all of those experiences into your narrative I know that um this is technically a rom-com but I was like man this is like a slice of life that <laughs> serves yeah. a lot of deep themes I I love it yeah um, yeah <laughs> there's also just such a like the the Asian Americanness of this narrative is also was something that we really related to, right? Because there's just something unique about like growing up, especially as the children of immigrants, where you're kind of torn between the values of both your your parents' culture and also this American culture that you grew up in that values independence and how that creates a perfect hurricane or maelstrom or whatever of just what are we supposed to be, right? Like, yeah, how do we yeah. be full-fledged adults and independent people while also being who we our parents yeah, want us to be? Yeah, for sure. And I think something that's really interesting when I've read, um, I, I try not to read reviews, but I have come <laughs> across like different reader responses. 
And, um, you know, I, I do feel like for some readers that don't have that kind of experience, like they really just don't understand why Jasmine struggles so much to want, like they, they almost frame it as like, um, wanting to honor or be loyal to their family. I'm like, well, it's not really that. It's like, you know, when we grow up in a certain culture with certain expectations, like we subscribe to it to a certain extent, like, you know, that's what we, we expect of ourselves sometimes. Right. And so it's not so much like I want to honor my parents necessarily, but also just like, well, this is something I want to. Right. And I've had conversations with like family and friends where we're like, yeah, we, we subscribe to it. Like we want to, we want to like fit in, you know, in our family, but also like pursue these other things that might also, you know, bring some tension. Right. And so anyway, so yeah, that's, I wanted to kind of pull that experience into the book. I just realized that we just jumped into the conversation <laughs> without like me asking you like, hey, there are listeners who have not read your book yet. So can you like describe your book for, yes. for them? Yes. Um, yeah. So the Dota Trap follows 22 year old Jasmine Tran, who's been living at home after college. Um, she's single. She's unemployed. And uh, she reunites with a former college crush. Um, who reemerges into her life um, just as her family's donut shop uh, faces an increase in rent. And so she's kind of, we, we find her juggling between like trying to manage her love life while also managing like her family responsibilities while also trying to figure out what she wants to do with her next step in her career, even though she doesn't know what that is. And so that's basically what the book is about. Um, it is a slice of life kind of story. I really wanted it to feel like you jump right into her. You get this window into her life and like the day to day kind of conversations that she has with her family, with her friends. And so. So, yeah, so it has a strong coming of age theme um, and also um, a rom-com arc with Alex, which is her love interest. So, yeah, a lot of paragraphs spent describing his abs. Which- <laughs> I, I truly appreciate it. Um, yes. I do want to say I love well, something that jumped out to me as a SGV boy, I guess. Is I love that you've canonized the correct way to say 99 Ranch <laughs> as 99 Ranch and not yeah. the, you know, the heretical Ranch 99. I mean, these are like SoCal, like, you know. <laughs> Like we want to get the culture right, right? <laughs> so exactly. I mean, if I know that if if this was you know set in the Bay Area or whatever, it would be Ranch Ninety Nine. <laughs> no, still Ninety Nine Ranch. I don't care what they say. <laughs> um, but yeah. I've read that uh, you your family used to run a donut shop, so yeah. you drew a lot of personal experiences uh, from uh, from working at, at your family shop. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that was really exciting for me in writing this book was being able to highlight like a little bit of history about like Cambodian donut shops into this story because, you know, that's part of my family history as well. Right. And so, um, you know, we're ethnically Chinese, but my parents are Cambodian refugees. And so, you know, it their network of friends and acquaintances like all began to um, start to operate their own independent donut shop in, around Southern California. And at some point, 
Um, my parents were able to um, operate one on their own, um, you know, with our family assistance and relatives and all of that um, being able to um, support us and all of that. And so they were able to do that for a number of years, like mainly during my formative years. Um, but we did end up, um, they did end up switching to a different business after that, which was an ice cream shop. So um, <laughs> always around desserts um, in my childhood, but, but yeah. So yeah, being able to highlight some of that history of like refugees, um, their place in, you know, why it is so ubiquitous that there are Cambodian operated donut shops in Southern California was something that I was really excited to bring into the book. I think for a lot of Asian American immigrant communities, I mean, it is really a community because once you come here, like if you don't find like a safety net, if you don't find people who speak your language and is able to help you, it's so difficult to survive. And mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of like, I, I think a lot of people who don't understand this, um, they just love to stereotype Asian Americans being like, oh, yeah, like, like, uh, all Chinese immigrants open restaurants and all Koreans uh, open up dry cleaners and liquor stores. That's just that's just what they do. And it's like, no, they do it because there is like they need to make money and their community is able to provide like the easiest way, like shortcuts and guidelines. And um, yeah, I just love that you highlighted the like Cambodian Chinese uh, history of opening donut shops and like why it's like so crucial to surviving. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so it was um, a really fun project to be able to kind of reminisce and, and bring in some of that personal experience and not just drawing from my own experience, but like I had to ask my sisters because um, they actually spent more time in the shop than me. And then um, and then also like, you know, my cousins, like so many relatives, like just being able to pull like different things that they've experienced and to be able to include some of that into this book was really nice. Yeah. I also love that your story centers on a Chinese diaspora uh, main character whose family is from from Cambodia by way of Vietnam and Thailand, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a yeah. whole history of that refugee experience in that family that I think a lot of people, most people probably aren't familiar with. That was, that was really cool. I really enjoyed um, the perspective of Jasmine as someone who is just okay at one language that her parents speak <laughs> and the way you wrote like you can't really understand the parents when they're speaking in Khmer or in fluent Chinese sometimes. yeah yeah I mean that that's just real life I feel like for me <laughs> um um yeah my parents like just speaking from my parents um like they they picked up languages in all the places that they've lived and they've mastered it enough where they can have conversations weaving in like all those languages in one conversation with with their friends and you know and so like i i remember growing up because I, I i didn't grow up in like a predominantly like asian community but i had enough asian friends and like you know one is like from hong kong and one is like <laughs> um, from toy Son, and like 
you know, uh, one's Taiwanese. And so like, even though we all had like somewhat of shared language together, like I remember thinking like to like, there were certain things that I would come up in my mind where I'm like, I think that's a Vietnamese word. And I can't say that with my friends <laughs> um, because the way my parents speak at home, like just litter with just all these different languages. And, um, and I just remember thinking like, I, I can't really learn one well <laughs> because they speak so many different languages. And I think they also thought that um, Khmer would be my weakest language. And so they gossip a lot in Khmer, but then because they use it so often, like I hear it a lot and I understand more than they think. And I, <laughs> and I remember catching them one time. I'm like, I know what you're saying. And they were like very spooked by it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all like, I feel like real life. And, that, and I knew that was not just like unique to me. Like I knew there was a lot of other, um, people who have similar experiences where like if their families are refugees or that, or, you know, I've met, like even my husband, he's Chinese Vietnamese. And so their family has like a whole slew of languages that they speak. And so I knew it was not unique to me, but I also felt like it was not represented a lot in media. And so, um, you know, considering like I put in my family's donut shop and like drew, you know, drew from like history and I'm like, well, it just seems like, like logistically, like it makes sense that like that is also a factor in this story because if you're, if your family has come through so many different countries, like, like that's just part of life. Right. And so I really try to keep that perspective as I was writing the story. I'm like, well, what would be normal in this world? Right. And those are the things I really wanted to make sure to factor in. Yeah. I mean, I felt represented in the Alex character, not in the abs department, but in the <laughs> using my fluent Mandarin to impress parents. Oh my God. Department. <laughs> I've oh my definitely gosh. probably done that before. Yeah, no. When whenever my parents have met any friends who speak fairly fluent in whatever their language is, <laughs> like my parents are always really impressed. And and because my parents know so many languages, they were able to cover like a lot of my friends. So like my Vietnamese <laughs> friends, my Cantonese speaking friends, uh, you know, my Mandarin speaking friends, and then my husband speaks Juju, which is not a very common language, but my my dad knows it, and so the first time he met my dad, like he was like so intimidated. He's like, "Man, your dad like really grilled me." <laughs> and he knows he knows the language better than I do, and so um, so yeah, like there's it really it really impresses my parents, and so so yeah, I, I thought yeah, again, I just really wanted to kind of pull that into to the story too. I try to put a lot into the story. And there were times when I thought, is this too much? <laughs> Do I need to pull back on something? But yeah. I, I love how um, her mom tells Jasmine, oh, if you only took Chinese classes, you would have found like a nice like Chinese boy. Like you would have had like more prospects for marriage. And it's just so funny to me that Jasmine actually did take Chinese classes in college <laughs> just for that reason. And I was like, that's so like, I like, I see you, Jasmine. Like, you're, you're there for the boys. Like, yeah. <laughs> My mom did ask me in college. She's like, haven't you met like somebody like in Chinese class or whatever? And like, seriously, I was like, no one is like looking to match dates with each other in class they're, they're actually there to learn chinese mom 
and or get an easy A because a lot of people <laughs> that too that already too. Chinese well the Chinese class get get that easy A. Um, yeah, I mean, she went to UCLA. It shouldn't be that hard <laughs> to find Asian boys at UCLA, right? Well, like the threshold for a good Asian. <laughs> boy or prospective Asian <laughs> husband. It it depends on your parents' standards. And I, I just love how uh like her parents are just so uh they like pretty much grill Alex and there's just like <laughs> so much pressure for him to like meet their expectations and uh pretty much like what kind of puts him in a bad light is his mom. It has nothing to do with him as a person. And I think that's like so specific to Asian American culture because it's like, it's just like, oh, what family are they from? And (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like, wow, like you are not looking at it from the picture of dating and getting to know someone you're you're immediately jumping into like is this person a marriage candidate and (laughs) can we get along with their family and it's just like yep that's super relatable yeah yeah and you know i i think back on my parents like they they were like that even with just friends like even when i first met my college roommate like you like regardless of their ethnicity it was just like oh, who who are they? Like, what is their last name? Like, well, what is their background? And I remember asking one of my roommates who was white. She's just like, just tell them I'm white. I'm like, no, that's not good enough for my parents. Like, <laughs> they want to know, like, like where your family history is from. And, like, she really had to think about that <laughs> for a second. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And so, I yeah, I don't, it's, it's just something that I've grown to expect whenever they you know, they meet somebody or or they want to know somebody that I'm talking about. They're like, well, who are they? What's their last name? Like, what area are they from? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I um, think as I aged, my parents' standards just went lower and lower and lower. There's a lot of pressure, <laughs> uh, especially for Asian American women, I, I, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think depending on like, you, I guess your parents' expectations, like how how early they they put on that pressure, right? <laughs> um, there is like a line in the um, in the book where Jasmine's mom's like says like, "Well, you know, if we were back in Cambodia, like you would be married already, oh, married um, with children and all that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I I met my husband in college, so. Um, I didn't have to hear that too much, but I did hear it before. It was just like, you would have been married already. <laughs> now I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, whatever. <laughs> like sometimes I, I think, um, you know, I think especially with this story is like the idea of like, well, you know, your parents have all these expectations, but you still have to like live your life a certain, like, you know, the way, not exactly like the way not like totally like turning your back against your family, but like you still like have to find your way to like manage life day to day, even if there are things you don't agree on or there's other things that you want. And sometimes it's just like coping with like, okay, like I hear you, but like this is what it is to a certain extent, right? It's like, it's not happening right now. So it's, it's difficult to explain all of that when you don't speak the language as fluently as possible because it's like you can't really I think in the book Jasmine's like I want to be able to explain how instead of what 
And yeah, I was just like, I felt bad because I was like, yeah, like, I mean, communication is key for any relationship and families are always going to have their issues. They're always going to have like complicated uh, dynamics, but it's extremely difficult when you don't share a language and have, I guess, like the tools to communicate. I think that is really, um, I think that reflects the experience that a lot of Asian Americans face. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, yeah. I, and I think like, I think for some people, they don't really understand that if, if you've grown up like having the same language with your family, because like, I would say like, even for me personally, like my, my Mandarin is, is like very much grade school. And if you think of what, like, like what a first or second grader, like, <laughs> like in English, like what they're talking about, it's just like, what's your favorite color? And like, who is your friend? And like, where are you going? It's like very basic surface level conversation. And it's like, how do you explain these like deeper feelings or desires or like worries, right? If you don't have the vocabulary to do that. And it's not even just vocabulary, but like, how do you frame it in a tone and with enough context um, for, especially for parents who come, who have like a very different like upbringing, worldview, all of that. And so, um, so that's the challenge. And, and that's what I, what I really wanted to um, capture in the story very much also just as again, like a logistical, like everyday thing that we have to manage. Right. Um, it is like a plot point, but it's not like sometimes when I see reader reviews and they're like, oh, this book is about identity. And I'm like, well, it's not really. <laughs> I mean, like the language part is just real life. Right. Like she doesn't like have like it like she's not wondering, like, am I Chinese enough if because I don't have the language skills? It's just like she accepts it, you know, like it's just part of her life. Right. And so um, so that's kind of my take on on that part yeah as with many children of asian immigrant stories one of the central sources of conflict is this relationship with our immigrant parents right and their mm-hmm. relationship with us and what i found really relatable is the parts where all the characters hide things from their parents that they feel like they don't either they won't accept or they won't understand i don't know if it's unique to the asian immigrant children immigrant experience but definitely, I, I've also experienced that that same like conflict as well, where I'm doing this thing, but I'm not going to tell my parents because I know they're not going to understand. Yeah. Or, or they're not going to understand on like a fundamental, like, why do this level? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You have this line where Jasmine's trying to figure out how to improve sales and then sells like a donut for like way more than her parents would ever sell a donut for. And I remember this line where she's thinking, like, my mom's probably thinking of all the things she could probably buy for the price of that donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I had to ask my mom because they they operated the shop like over twenty years ago, and she said the price of a dozen donuts when they last like operated the shop was like three twenty five. Oh my I'm like, god! For twelve donuts, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cheap. like that's how much you might spend on one today." So like a fancy one today, and so uh, so yeah. When I took when I bought all the donuts for um, like marketing, like social media and all that, I never told my mom how much they cost. <laughs> I was like, I just and it's not so much like 
we want to lie to our parents, but it's almost like, do I really want to get into this conversation that's like not going to go anywhere? Like they're just not going to understand. So like it's it's basically like I'm just saving the hassle of like I'm not going to explain this to you. I'm just going to do this thing that I know would be really important, right? And um, yeah, there's there's a really good line from um, Not Here to Be Liked. Um, by Michelle Kwok, where she's, I th- I'm going to paraphrase, I'm, I think I'm going to get this wrong, but basically where she said, like, lying is part of Asian kids' survival. <laughs> so I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> and so, um, so it's yeah. definitely it's- a balancing act of like, what can I, what, can, like, how truthful can my lie be? And how <laughs> delicately can I frame this so that they don't blow up? Like, there's definitely a strategy for every single Asian American kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a mirror to the things that, are, that it's, it's a mirror to, you know, we're, we're doing for their own good, right? It's the same way that they're, they're being super annoying for our own good, I guess. <laughs> and I mean, and, and I think to just like widen the context, because I know the book, focuses on like Jasmine's desire to like get a job or like to to date Alex or whatever but like I just even from my own personal experience like remembering how to explain to my my parents like why I have to volunteer for high school like and college applications and my parents like just did not understand that concept they're like what do you mean you're gonna go clean the neighborhood like you don't clean your room like why are you gonna go clean the neighborhood (laughs) I'm like I need credit to go to college like this is going to help me get into college. And like, it just did not like, like click in their minds. Right. And so it's like stuff like that. And so sometimes like those things are really necessary. Right. And we still just kind of have to forge on even if they don't understand. And so, yeah. I needed for college was probably the excuse for everything I did. Like why I needed to go to my friend's place or to work on a project. Why I needed to go on this trip. Yes. Yes, yeah. it was very useful, very versatile. Uh, there's a line in your book that um, really struck me, and I'm just going to read it. Um, it's like, to me, it was yet another unnecessary reminder that my life, my work will always pale in comparison to those of my parents. I knew this very well. It didn't bear repeating. Wasn't that the point, though? Wasn't that the narrative for every immigrant and refugee had come to the United States to come and build a better, safer life for yourself and your family? If the measure of success was that I was living a more comfortable, easier life than they had, then why was I simultaneously penalized for it? And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) I felt it so like in my heart because, yeah, like our parents, they like, of course, we understand that they went through so much strife and, you know, they had so many obstacles that like for us is like incomprehensible we're like how did you do this at my age like how did you move to another country and learn a new language and just like try to survive and like like in this culture that you don't understand and just having the struggle to understand like is it's like yeah like my struggles matter too like trying to find a job after college like that is a struggle and for them it's just like like when I was when I came to America I had $20 in my pocket like I was able to find a job why can't you (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and um I didn't I didn't put this in the book um and I think this is 
a little bit different than perhaps what some people would expect. But I had relatives who were like, why even bother going to college? Like you can open up your own business and make money right away. And I I feel like that's counter to what a, a stereotypical kind of expectation of what Asian Americans are like, you know, like they, I, you know, I think a, like a, a misrepresentation is like, you know, Asian Americans are like, you know, well off or whatever. And um, they're very, you know, interested in college education and all that. But like, I had lots of relatives who were like, just open your own business. Like you can just like get started right away. Like they didn't really see the return on investment on college. And, yeah. and this was even before like all this like college debt stuff was happening. <laughs> and so, um, and yeah, and I, I think that's uh, really reflective of like, you know, when I, I, I try to really hone in on like when I create characters, like like what is their family background? When did they come to the United States? Because all of that kind of factors into their perspectives and worldview. And so I know we've been talking like, you know, broadly about Asian Americans, but, you know, of course, we there are people who've been in America for like several, several generations. And they probably, some of this stuff probably does not apply. (laughs) Some of the things that we've talked about today doesn't, doesn't apply. Right. And so, um, but, but yeah, in my family, they like, there, there were certain relatives who didn't, um, you know, understand college. And so, um, so yeah, I just uh, wanted to, um, uh, but, you know, focusing on, on, you know, the donut trap and the kind of story that was told here. yeah, the idea of like having a more comfortable life is also like things like it, it's just kind of like why like it's just like conflicting expectations sometimes. <laughs> it's like you want us to work really hard, uh, but you also want us to have an easier life, and like there's just sometimes like a conflict. Um, but yeah, like the, there is a comment in the book where um, you know her her mom comments on like basically like her soft hands. And, um, like, basically, like, still, like, like, not touched by hard labor. (laughs) And so, um, and that's not something that, I mean, it is something that I've heard from my own mother, but, um, it's something I've heard from, like, customers. I remember in my store, there's, like, our store was in a community that was, like, predominantly Latino. And, like, I remember, like, an older, like, like, Mexican, like, grandma like looking at my hands and she's like look at this hand so nice and smooth <laughs> I'm like I'm getting it from everybody <laughs> so, um, so yeah yeah, just- yeah I think the whole um it's like why why are my peers why are like my old classmates like so successful and like they like we went to the same school we're the same age like how could I be such a loser pretty much and <laughs> like I feel like that's not just Asian Americans experience it's a lot of like post-college anxiety <laughs> and, yeah. yeah yeah like you definitely and social media era yeah, yeah. like you, you know, definitely sure. captured that uh like fear and aversion to meeting like like high school and college friends because you're like it's just it's just going to be us complaining about our jobs but it's just humble bragging and i'm just gonna feel (laughs) bad (laughs) yeah 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 um it's funny because um for that part of the story i i pulled from my day job which is i i'm a college counselor um and so i've heard so many stories from like just that general feeling from students like oh but 
I don't, I feel like I'm not doing as well because my friends already have that internship or my friends already landed a job after college and we haven't even finished senior year yet. And like, there's so much comparison and like, there were so many times I just wanted to tell them like, it's really going to work itself out. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) everybody's working on their own timeline. Everybody's opportunities are going to come at different times. Everybody comes to their realization about what their next job or career is going to be at different times in their lives too. So it doesn't just happen in college. It happens in different, you know, even later in life and probably multiple times. And so, um, but, but it was such a common feeling. And so I, I wanted to put that for Jasmine. Um, so I, in hopes that maybe for readers that they can really like understand like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. There's plenty of people <laughs> who feel this way. I think everyone can relate to the whole, like, I want to, I want to have this job, but it's asking for experience. But how do I get experience if like, I don't get a job like I just graduated from college like why is it so hard to just like find a job and make a living because all I want to do is move out of my parents house like my goal is just this like yeah it's like all of the other stuff uh, about like finding my passion and like my five-year goal that can come later I just have to move out of my parents house (laughs) because like how can you get your independence when you're living under the same roof and you're still treating you like children and it's like you're a grown adult but obviously your parents are going to see you as um as their babies i feel like that is what all parents do um you never really are treated as adults in their eyes so yeah definitely yeah. relatable to to most readers i, I imagine <laughs> Well, I did have like, even in the process of like, you know, pitching my book and like having agents read it, um, there was some feedback uh, that they didn't understand why Jasmine didn't have a goal or why Jasmine didn't have a sense of agency. And I'm like, I I thought I explained all that in the book, like why she doesn't have a sense of agency. Um, and, and again, the idea of like, well, most people, not everybody has a goal, right? Or they know what to do, right? During college, after college. And so um, I, I didn't think I would have, like, have to explain that part. But <laughs> I guess, but in the, I guess in the sense of like, you know, writing a novel, like there has to be an arc or a story or something like that. And so, um, so that kind of made it hard for certain, certain people to connect with, with the book. And so that's weird because I feel like that made her so relatable to me. And I think, I don't know, I, it, there is this archetype, I guess, of like Asian American recovering overachiever, right? That we've mentioned this where, you know, our entire, the first 22 years of our life is dedicated to school and studying getting good grades getting to a good school but then what happens after right well we've, we've spent so much of our lives living to fulfill our parents goals that we don't really think about our own goals because there's just so much of that like i need to make my parents proud that takes up in our brain space that i thought made made jasmine's experience super relatable i don't even think that it's i want to meet my parents expectations because i feel like a lot of asian americans they want that for themselves you know they want to be successful. They want to make sure that 
their parents' sacrifices are not in vain, even though they don't say it. Some parents don't say it to you verbally, but you feel it and you do Mm -hmm. want to, you know, do well. And yeah, I feel like so many high achieving Asian Americans, they, they burn themselves out because they put this pressure on themselves that, you know, is totally unnecessary. And I really like the fact that you included that for Jasmine's personality because, you know, she studied really hard in college and senior year, she gets burned out and um, pretty much, you know, her life kind of spirals from there. I don't want to spoil anything, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And again, like, I think that's an experience that I've seen in people that I know and students that I've met. Um, that I don't feel gets talked about a lot. And so that's why I really wanted to put that in this story too. Um, I also want to say, because I, I remember I had a lot of students ask me this before. They're like, well, because I think they wanted they wanted that like validation that somebody else felt this way too. And so they always ask me when, like, Julie, did you ever feel this way? Did you struggle with your major or whatever? And um, I always had to like, break the news of I was like, no, I always knew what my major was. And I always knew I wanted to be a counselor, you know, but um, but I remember like once I achieved like a certain like like milestone for myself, um, I was like, all right, I made it here. And then I thought, what do I do after this? Like what's the next step in the my career for me? And like I I was like, oh like I'm experiencing it now just much later in my life. Um and so so yeah uh there's always going to be times when you're, I feel like you're going to come across a crossroads where you're figuring out like, is this it for me? I met my goal. Like, is this it? And like, what do I do after? Right. And so there's always times to reevaluate and, and figure out that next step. Well, your next step was writing a novel. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. what, what made you want to, to write it? Like what urged you to, you know, participate in, um, I think it was DV Pit, right? That's where, yeah. That's where you started pitching. I'm yeah. sorry if it sounds like I'm a stalker. It's just I like every <laughs> you do, you year. Did your research? Every, thorough, no, every yeah. year, like when DV Pit or Pitch Wars happen, I, I just happen to be lurking on Twitter and I read all of these pitches and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's see if it, like, you know, makes it to publication. And a lot of those books do. And I get really happy because I'm like, I can yeah. finally read the story that I, you know, that was only 160 characters in. <laughs> <laughs> in my perspective so yeah like how did you come about writing this book yeah so um you know growing up I always knew I liked writing and um I remember doing like an elementary school assignment it was like what do you want to be when you grow up and I put writer you know and um and I had some really great teachers like they submitted my work for me and that was really nice but at some point like by high school uh, you know just kind of caught up in like college prep and all of that uh it just kind of lost its way and I just kind of like you know shrugged it off like oh that was just like a childhood dream just never gonna I didn't major in English didn't major in writing um and I think part of that is like why I didn't pursue like writing then was because also like I just didn't know anybody who was a writer like I just didn't like see that as like a career path for me and so um I pursued um, counseling and education, which I which I love. I've been doing it for over 10 years now. 
Um, but when I decided to write the book, um, I had just like, both my kids were really young and I had just like spent a few years like taking care of them. And I came to a point in my life where I was like, I, I really want to do something that's just for me. And I always said like I, writing a novel was like on my bucket list. Like it's just like this far off goal, lofty goal that I'm going to do someday. And then I don't know why, but at that time I just thought, well, why not today? Right. I'm just going to do it now. <laughs> and so um, I started reading craft books. I started reading a lot more. Um, I wasn't a very good reader before that. And then um, I started reading a lot more. And then I just started drafting something and it was just going to be something that was going to be um, a file on my computer. I never thought I was going to pitch it. Um, I I mean, the first it was like I, I set my set really small goals for myself. Like the first goal was like, well, let's see if I could even make it to 60,000 words. Right. And so I wrote up to 60,000 words and then I realized, oh, I actually need to write a lot more <laughs> to make it novel length. And so then I wrote a little bit more. Um and then when it was all said and done, um, actually, I, I, I at some point I discovered Pitch Wars. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to submit it to Pitch Wars. I'd love to have a mentor because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I pitched. Uh, so I put in my application for Pitch Wars. But, you know, at some point I just realized, like, oh, I'm, I'm probably not going to get selected. And then DV Pit was happening like the week after or something like that. And so it was just like, why not? I'm just going to do it. Let's just try it out and see what happens. Um, I wrote my pitch. Um, I started kind of like querying, like just like five agents. So it was just like a, like a test batch, um, of sorts. And then my DV pit pitch, like got a good amount of agent interest. So I thought, oh, maybe I really have something here. And so, um, and that's how I ended up getting connected to my agent. And so that was kind of like the whole journey. And so everything has been really unexpected. Um, I'm really thrilled. Um, but also like, learning as I'm going, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you are, by all accounts, a full-fledged independent adult. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, how did your parents react to you becoming, like, a creative author? Yeah. My, well, my parents were thrilled. Like, um, my my dad used to be, um, like, used to write as a hobby. Um, he used to write scripts, actually. Oh, wow. Um, he loved, he loves, like, words. Like, he'll find any scrap of paper and, like, write a character and tell me, like, why this character, like, why this character means what it means, how many different ways you can use this one character. And so, like, he was thrilled. Like, he was just like, wow. Well, also, first of all, I didn't tell them <laughs> until I landed my agent, I think. Um, and so I waited until, like, there was something, like, I could tell them. So it wasn't just like, oh, this is my project. It was like, by the way, I wrote a book and I have an agent now. And so it really, like, surprised them in a good way. Of course, my mom was like, well, how much money are you going to make and all of that? <laughs> um and all of that, which, of course, I didn't even know for myself. I was like, I don't really know how publishing works. Um, and then, um, but yeah, they were thrilled. And then I, I remember, like, showing them, like, the actual printed copy. They were so excited. Um, and, like, they went to Barnes & Noble and took pictures. And so it was really Oh, nice. that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just thinking about, like, my parents, uh, because I did major in writing. And for them, it was just like, wait you write like when did you have time and <laughs> and like for me it was like I applied for um, a writing major 
the day before uh, the deadline for sending in your portfolio. And like, it was, it was just like, why, why not? I mean, like, like I can, I can write this in, in 24 hours. Uh, I don't recommend it. If you, (laughs) if you're a prospective college student and you want to be a writer, don't write your uh, college portfolio the, the night before it's not advised, but yeah, like we said earlier, there's a strategy to breaking yeah. the news to, to yeah. your parents. It was like, yeah. surprise, I applied for a writing major. Like, you didn't know about that, but it's too late. I already applied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I waited to tell my parents because, like, like, you know, if I told them earlier, they would just be like, well, why? Why are you spending your time doing that? Like, you know, and I think being able to say like, oh, I have my agent now, like, or like I finished it. And then it, it, it feels much more concrete and like tangible to to explain to them like what, what that all means. Um, but yeah, and I, yeah. I remember even reading like stories about that from other people. I think like the owners of like Seven Leaves, like they didn't tell their parents that they were going to create like a tea shop because they all were like engineers or like successful in like other jobs. And now we have seven leaves. <laughs> yeah. So how did it feel when you went into your local bookstore and saw that your novel was on the shelves? Oh, it's just totally surreal. Um, I mean, part of that was also because like my release date got pushed. And so yeah. it was, I was just kind of like waiting, like, when is it going to be there? <laughs> and so when I finally saw it, I was just like, it, it was, it was like a mix of like, like pride but also like relief because it was there (laughs) and um and I was just so nervous like asking like someone like a a, like a bookseller there like can I sign my books and they were so like they congratulated me they brought out all their copies that were in stock and so it was really nice um and I had my kids there with me and they I think to them, it just seems almost like normal. And they're like, oh, look, mom, there's your book. Like, do you want to take it home? I'm like, no, this has to stay here. <laughs> Someone <laughs> has to buy it. <laughs> um, but um, and they keep me humble because they're like, are we done taking pictures now? Like, can we go look at other stuff? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, it was it was really exciting. And again, I'm just so like surprised by this whole thing, like that this thing that I've always kind of thought about in like the back of my mind is like actually happened and so um yeah I'm so glad I kind of took the chance and like put up put out my work out there because I mean that was really the thing that kept me from writing in my 20s I was like I don't think I ever want to show anybody my writing (laughs) um because I you know as a college counselor like I I planned lots of career events and I've heard other writers say like oh yeah you have to share your work and like get writing friends and like critique each other and all that Hearing what do you them mean say that, I was, that I have to socialize? What do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. hearing them say that like terrified me. I was like, no, I don't want to share any of my work with anybody. And and I think the nice thing about starting this project now in my 30s is that it one, I had a little bit more confidence to say like, OK, yeah, like I can, I can share my work because that's part of the process. Right. Um, but also to, to have enough distance and perspective to be able to to craft the story that the way that it is um, now, like if I tried to write something like the donut trap in my twenties, it would not be the way that it is. It just, I don't even know what it would look like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would look like a very long, like 
Zanga page, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh my god, Zanga. Wow, that brings me back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you are a published author with a second book in the works. Yeah. Um, coming out um summer of next year, right? Yes, yes. So my next book is called Um Circling Back to You. It is a workplace rom-com uh, between two colleagues who have a really like close-knit relationship. Um, it's set partly in San Francisco and partly in L.A., um, specifically San Gabriel. I'm trying to hit all the San Gabriel Valley in, in my books. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was really fun to write. It definitely has a stronger um, or more prominent, I should say, uh, romance arc. Um, than the than the donut trap and so um i think it'll be really fun i wrote it um mostly in summer of 2020 and oh god yeah yeah and then i did a big revision just this past summer (laughs) and so um (laughs) so yeah a lot of work went into it um i i think part of writing in the pandemic it was really hard for one um but two um it was one of those things where like, well, if I'm going to set aside time to write a project in this time, that's just so like uncertain and, you know, wild, like I just have this project just has to be fun. Right. And so, um, so, so yeah, I, I feel like I tried to incorporate like a lot more jokes, a lot more humor. Um, a lot of my uh, critique partners said it was really funny. So I, I, and and my editor <laughs> said that too. So that's basically what I'm going with uh, with that. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, San Gabriel is my hometown. So you know, I'm honor <laughs> bound to read this novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally feel that with like, you know, being honor bound to <laughs> like whenever a book mentions like your hometown, it's like, yeah, let's see if they got it right. There's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. It's a lot oh, of no, pressure. Marvin's going to be reading my book and be like, that's not what St. Gabriel's like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did nail the setting in, in Donut Trap, so I, I have faith in, in you. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, we're winding down to the the end of our conversation. Uh, Rira, do you have any last questions for Julie? Um, well, I, I don't have any questions, but I, I like we said earlier, I really appreciated the different perspectives that you put in, in like the Asian American experience. I thought the romance was super cute. Like, I love the fact that she called Alex like the window guy and <laughs> just like that. That's adorable. Um, I, I love it. And I just love their chemistry. It was it was a really fun read, but also. I just related to it a lot, and um, I hope a lot of people uh, enjoy it as well. Um, but where can our listeners find you so they can learn more about the Donut Trap? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Julie Two, and I'm also on Instagram at Julie Two Writes. And um, I also have a newsletter that um, readers can subscribe to on my website, which is www.julie2.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for joining us on Books and Boba. Uh, congratulations on the launch of your debut novel. And, you know, good luck on the road to launching your next one. Thank you so much. It's so fun to, ha- to chat with you guys today. And that was our chat with Julie Tu, the author of The Donut Trap, available now at bookstores everywhere. 
Um, yeah, what a fun conversation. Yes, yes. And I forgot to mention this in our conversation, but The Donut Trap, what a great title. <laughs> you know, at first I thought it was going to be like a parent trap type of thing, but no, it's literally the trap that the main character Jasmine feels that she is in because she is surrounded by donuts every day. And also, she lives with her parents, so it's like, how do I escape? <laughs> Yeah, if you're interested in the book, you can purchase it now um, at Booksellers Everywhere and also at our Books and Bubble Bookshop, where we have a list of all the books of the author interviews that we've done. So um, support the book, support Julie, and also support our podcast and local bookstores at the same time. Yes. And, uh, you know, for those who want to read our December pick, uh, we will be reading She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, which... Uh, is an Asian-inspired fantasy uh, pitched as Mulan meets the Song of Achilles. It is a very long book, so we are actually reading it for December and January so that we have extra time to finish the book. Because also holidays, I know people have things to do. (laughs) I have things to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and if you've already read the book and have some thoughts, Please let us know on our Goodreads forum. We always love to hear um, the thoughts of our readers. But with that, I guess that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll see you next time. Happy holidays, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.